the National Society of Genetic Counselors, this is the NSGC podcast series. Exploring stories of leading voices and best practices in genetic counseling. Now to your host. Welcome to the NSGC podcast series. I'm your host, Kalita Leaquad. In today's episode, my co-host, Naomi Wagner, will be chatting about the Undiagnosed Disease Network and Result Communication with Courtney Studwell and Kimberly LeBlanc, authors of Family Genetic Result Communication in Rare and Undiagnosed Disease Communities, Understanding the Practice. Courtney is a genetic counselor at Brigham and Women's Hospital in the Department of Pathology, as well as the Center for Fetal Medicine, and reproductive genetics. Kimberly LeBlanc is a genetic counselor and associate director of research operations at the Undiagnosed Disease Network Coordinating Center in the Department of Biomedical Informatics at Harvard Medical School. Take it away, Naomi. So welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you here, Kim and Courtney. It's great to be here. Yes, thanks for having us. So I'm super excited to hear more about this article because I have a soft spot for the Undiagnosed Diseases Network, as I did some part-time work there during graduate school. However, I know not all of our listeners are familiar. So to start off, Kim, could you provide some general background on the Undiagnosed Diseases Network or the UDN as we often refer to it? Yes, I'd be happy to. The Undiagnosed Diseases Network came out of the Undiagnosed Diseases Program, which was started by Dr. Bill Gall at the NIH back in 2008. At the time, he recognized that there was a need for patients with undiagnosed conditions, patients who had been passed from one institution to the next, to have a multidisciplinary evaluation where they could use both clinical and research approaches to be able to ideally find a diagnosis for these patients. Based on the success of the Undiagnosed Diseases Program in 2013, the NIH Common Fund decided to support the expansion of the program into a network of clinical research sites around the country. So currently we have 12 clinical sites that evaluate patients as well as a number of research groups and together we're working to improve diagnosis and care for patients with these difficult to diagnose conditions. And currently patients from all over the country and all over the world can apply to be seen by the UDN. Yeah, it's awesome how many patients have been able to utilize the UDN from all around the world and the country and the number of different researchers involved. So from that, I can imagine you would have lots of potential research questions to answer. So I'm wondering for this project in particular, how did the group come up with the study and the questions you were interested in asking? Yeah, so when I was in graduate school at Boston University, I was working part-time as a research assistant at the UDN, and I was getting exposed to all the unique characteristics of this population and how they approach the diagnostic odyssey and how they approach genetic testing. And so I was looking at a lot of the research that was being done, even by researchers that work with us in the UDN, that were looking into again, these unique characteristics of this group. And there was really a gap in the literature regarding family communication and how these patients were communicating the results of their genetic testing to their family members. And as you can imagine, 
these individuals have such long diagnostic odysseys and have had such extensive genetic testing that we can assume that they're complicated results to communicate to family. And so there was this gap where we didn't know exactly what this population was doing in terms of family communication. And we started to develop our research question of what are these individuals communicating to their families? Why do they think it's important? And what other factors are involved in that decision-making process? And so we started to create this bigger research question in hopes that we could change maybe our internal practices at the UDN or apply more broadly to the genetic counseling community about how to facilitate family communication within a population that is getting genetic testing. Mm-hmm. I know family communication is a topic on the minds of lots of genetic counselors. I saw from the data in this paper, it looks like all of the study participants shared their results with relatives. Was that surprising to you? I mean, yes and no. I would say that um, when I saw that, I was surprised in the context of the other literature that we had looked at, which Mm -hmm. was looking at a bunch of different disease populations or condition populations, such as hereditary cancer where there's so many factors in whether or not an individual shared the results with their family, and a lot of it was personal. So there was inconsistencies that they didn't show as high of a rate of communication as we saw in our population. But when you start to think about it more, again, there's always the confound that maybe individuals who are responding to our survey are more likely to have shared this information with their family members and are more interested in completing that survey. But I also think that there were other indicators in the results that they shared that they had a high level of perceived understanding of their results, that they thought it was important to share with their family members, and they had a high level of self-efficacy in their ability to communicate this with family members. So I think all of that together made it not surprising that they had all communicated, but it was definitely a reassuring finding. Mm -hmm. And I know Your study included both adults who themselves had a rare disease, but also parents or caregivers of someone with rare disease. So were there differences in the communication or the disclosure to relatives between these groups? Yeah, there was. And I think this is probably one of the most interesting findings for me, at least from our study, is that we did see some differences specifically in why individuals chose to communicate their results and what the content of that communication was. And so when we looked at adult participants themselves, they wanted to share information with family members in order to communicate the potential genetic risk. So they wanted to inform family members about genetic information that could influence their health. So therefore, when they were thinking about what to communicate, they often they indicated more often on the survey that they were including the risk to family members, that more numerical or statistic risk. On the other side, we have the parents and guardians of pediatric participants or participants who um, couldn't provide consent. They said that they had this general desire to share information. And this may be just a coping mechanism to having a child with a complex health history or just part of their way to gain emotional support throughout this process. But it was really this general desire to share information rather than that risk. And they tended to share more information about the diagnosis specifically. So things like the diagnosis name or the inheritance pattern when compared to adult participants. So I think it's interesting that we saw these two different patterns and moving forward, it may 
necessitate different genetic counseling strategies amongst those two groups in order to make sure that we're being as supportive as we can throughout this process and just understanding that everyone has unique motivations for this communication. Mm-hmm. And, and I would imagine it differs too based on what the results were. Did you have a big enough sample size or were you able to ask and look for differences based on what the inheritance pattern or the diagnosis was, or did you not cover that in this study? So we did have quite a small population, right? Because we were looking at individuals who had received a diagnosis through the undiagnosed diseases network. And so as you can imagine, there's a lot of different diagnoses that make up that group. We did make overall generalizations that maybe the pediatric population might have had more de novo genetic findings compared to the adults, just based on the information we have about childhood onset conditions. But we didn't explicitly ask um, or gather that information about our population. But I would assume that this is also a big influence on how people communicate. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And like you've mentioned multiple times, this is a unique patient population. So, but other groups around the country and the world are working on studying rare and undiagnosed disease. How do you think this study can be applied to other rare and undiagnosed research programs or to future UDN projects that you're working on? As Courtney mentioned, in this study, adults and parents and guardians of pediatric participants noted different motivations to share results. And I think that's something that could definitely be incorporated into genetic counseling discussions in these types of rare and undiagnosed programs, getting more at what is driving people to communicate results. And then also what are some strategies that they could use to discuss results with family members. In terms of future UDN projects or projects in the undiagnosed and rare disease community in general, I think one thing we would be really interested in focusing on is to follow up with a qualitative project to explore more of those motivations as well as what resources may be helpful for genetic result communication in this population. Courtney also mentioned the smaller sample size as part of this study. I'm not sure we could do a much larger study within the UDN, but potentially in a larger previously undiagnosed and rare disease population to look more at how does inheritance pattern influence communication and some of those other factors that we weren't able to dive as much into in the smaller cohort. And I know this was not a qualitative study by design, but did you receive any feedback from participants? Did it seem like people were willing and interested in participating in research like this? In this specific study, people seemed interested in participating, looking at the number of people that we recruited from. We had a fairly good response rate, but as Courtney mentioned, the results and the responses may have been specific to this population that opted to respond. In the UDN, we do have a very engaged participant group, which is fantastic and a great opportunity to do more research in this area, but I think it is also a very unique group. So generalizing results across populations may occasionally be challenging. So do you think that these findings do apply to other areas of genetics, though? 
I do think these findings are applicable, again, looking at the different motivations in the adult and pediatric populations, as well as how genetic counselors can support result communication in families. In this study, a number of people responded that they didn't recall having conversations about how to communicate with family members or what to communicate. And I think that could definitely be a focus in other disease communities as well to have genetic counselors be reinforcing having those conversations again with patients. We know that results disclosure sessions can be information heavy and heavy emotionally. So being able to follow up with resources that may help families communicate the results, especially for some of these newer and novel conditions. As we think about exome and genome sequencing being applied more broadly as well, I think it would be really interesting to look at understanding of results, especially when this testing is used earlier on in the diagnostic process. Courtney mentioned that the participants in this study had reported high levels of understanding the results, but they had also been through extensive genetic testing by the time they came to the UDN. So in other groups where these types of more expansive testing strategies may be used earlier on, are people still understanding these results and how does that potentially impact communication down the road? Yeah, I did think it was interesting how there were high ratings in this paper for patients or participants reporting that they understood their results, which intuitively sounds like it would be easier to share with relatives if you felt like you had an understanding. And certainly whole exome and whole genome are complicated results. Did all of the participants have prior genetic testing typically coming into this, or were you able to evaluate that coming into this study? As part of this project, we didn't ask specifically about prior genetic testing, but I can say for most, if not all participants in the UDN, for the vast majority, they have genetic testing prior to being accepted into the UDN. And then typically most participants in the UDN do undergo more expansive genetic testing like whole exome or whole genome, correct? Yes, exactly. Especially in the pediatric population, we're seeing many more patients coming in with exome sequencing having already been done in a clinical setting. So either there will be a reanalysis of exome sequencing data or a subset will move on to genome sequencing. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it is important to note, of course, that these are providers who are used to talking about whole genome or whole exome who would be giving back the results. But like you mentioned, in many spaces now, this might be the first test done on a patient and it may not be done. The results may not be returned by someone who has extensive experience in counseling patients on results of whole exome or whole genome. Yes. And I think that's why this focus on family communication is so important and potentially referring to a genetic counselor who could provide that type of guidance to families. We talk about sharing genetic test results with relatives in pretty much every genetic counseling session, you know, whether it was a large test like whole exome or her genome and whether or not a definitive answer or genetic solution is identified. So it's something that can be applicable to probably all genetic counselors working with patients. I'm curious if you feel like the study highlighted any areas where genetic counselors could help make this process smoother or help encourage the sharing of results among family members. Yeah, and as Kim mentioned, there was a good proportion of our participants in the study who 
said that they didn't recall having a conversation with a healthcare provider about how or what to share with their family members. And we know that there's so much information that these patients are getting at a results return. I mean, there's so many things that could impact whether or not they're recalling they had this conversation, but it still shows that there's room for improvement in terms of ongoing support for these patients once they leave a counseling session with a genetic counselor or if they're leaving a results return in a research study like the UDN. And so I think thinking about ways that we can have these ongoing conversations with family, providing written resources or resources for them to share with their family directly if they don't feel comfortable in their ability to communicate that to their family members. I think those are all things that we can do to make the process go smoother. And I think really sitting down and having a conversation with a participant or a patient about what their motivations are and what their relationship is like with their family members can really be helpful in facilitating that process in a way that works for that family structure, because we know that those can be so diverse. And definitely, if there are any handouts or resources, I can imagine it's easier to share with family members if you have materials to help you do so. But with rare disease, there isn't always an easily accessible resource to share with families. I know the UDN has worked on a project where participants can create a participant page about their condition. Is that something that you think is helpful in sharing with family members, or is that more to connect with people who have the same rare genetic condition? The main goal of the project was to be able to connect patients with the same rare condition, but I think it could also be helpful in providing it to other family members to be able to have this description that's in more patient-friendly language about that specific patient and about the genetic variant that was identified to be causing their condition. We also would love to do more work in this area, talking with families who do participate in that project. How are they using those pages? Are they sharing with them with other providers in addition to other family members potentially. In general, as you mentioned, Naomi, there's not much information that is accessible for the general public about many of these new and novel conditions. And I think that's another area that genetic counselors could really try to grow and develop in the future. It's hard with all of these new conditions being discovered all the time, but at least from my perspective, and this area could use additional research too, it seems like having more information written in a way that can be shared with others in these patient communities and in the general public would be helpful to be able to communicate about these new conditions and increase understanding in general. And some of the participants noted that they shared publications from the UDN about their diagnosis as a way to communicate with family members. And while that's a good resource for someone who is maybe has an N of one diagnosis and that there's really not resources available, I feel like there's still a way we can do better for patients to communicate with their family members in a way that is more approachable than a publication. Yeah, definitely. You have to have quite a high science literacy in order to understand rare disease genetics journal articles for sure. It's great that families are able to use that when it is available, but it would be helpful, I imagine, to even have resources related to the inheritance pattern, things like that. I still think there is a lack of important resources to share with families. 
were you able to capture, it sounds like all of these individuals were sharing with relatives, so it may be hard to capture some of the challenges. Did any of their challenges come up in how they were sharing or things that were hard for them to share with their relatives? In terms of looking at it that way, we don't have as much of that information, but there were some things that from a positive point of view where people were saying that they were sharing due to a close personal relationship with family members, I can imagine that the converse of that is true as well, where people who maybe don't have as close of a relationship with certain relatives would find it harder to communicate with them. And then I think on the genetics, the scientific side, these results are complicated. And I know we've discussed that these participants shared that they had a high level of perceived understanding of their results, but I'm sure that it's hard with the complicated nature and lack of additional information. Yeah, it definitely sounds like lots of good research questions for the future or for future students. So I'm excited to hear what else you find through the UDN or other similar studies, because I think family communication is a really important question for all of us in the field. Anything else you want to share about this particular study with our listeners? Um, I think that this study was, I'm very happy to have the opportunity to share these results just because I think that it has implications that are beyond just the undiagnosed diseases network, but it was great to contribute to the literature in that area after spending quite a bit of time working with the population. And so besides what we talked about today, I just think that it highlights the importance of family communication and just areas where we can do better as a genetic counseling profession. Yeah, definitely. Lastly, for our listeners who might be less familiar with the UDN or new to it today, could you share any information about how folks could get involved or refer their patients or learn more? Yes. Uh, first, we have UDN sites that are all around the country. So I would encourage any listeners at one of those sites to reach out to their local UDN team to see how they could potentially get involved. We have information about all of the sites and the participant application process as well on our website at udnconnect.org. We also put on a monthly grand round series that's open to the public where listeners can learn more about individual UDN patients and the approach more broadly. Information about grand rounds can be found on our website too. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing the research and more information about the UDN today. Thank you, Naomi. It's been great to be here today. Yes, thank you for having us. That concludes this month's episode of the NSGC podcast series and closes out our 2020 season. Don't forget to rate the NSGC podcast series wherever you're listening to this episode and encourage your friends and colleagues to subscribe. The podcast series would not be possible without our subcommittee members, our wonderful speakers, and our dedicated listeners. Thank you all for joining us month after month. As we close out the season, I am also rolling off as chair of the podcast subcommittee, and it is with a full heart that I want to personally thank you for listening. Whether this is your first episode or you've been an avid listener for the last three years, Thank you for joining me in this adventure. This recording is produced by the National Society of Genetic Counselors. For the last time, I'm your host, Kalita Leaquat. 
Tune in next year as Naomi Wagner explores the amazing voices and the hard work of genetic counselors.